When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Wanderers. Welcome back to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast, episode number 26. We continue our chapter-by-chapter analysis of Tolkien's book, The Silmarillion. Today, we're diving into the tragic tale of Túrin, son of Húrin, as told in the chapter called Of Túrin Túrambar. This chapter is the first of the final four chapters of the Silmarillion proper, so we're getting close to the end of Middle-earth's first age. But don't worry, there's plenty more to explore in the second age. As always, a link to purchase the Silmarillion from Amazon is in the show notes. And if you like what you're hearing, please provide a rating and review. Each review helps more wanderers to find the show and be less lost in Middle-earth. And who knows, I may just read your review on a future episode. Welcome to the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast. We explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Lago Vanyan, fellow wanderers. Today's episode date is May 26th. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 2941, Bilbo and the dwarves are traveling east. In the year 3019, Arwen is preparing to depart Lorien to Minas Tirith. And in the year 2000 of our world, principal photography for Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films has just passed its halfway point. This is adapted from the Today in Middle-earth history calendar on the OneRing.net. Let's check the map. These map checks are modeled after the beautiful maps that accompany the Lord of the Rings books, and I hope give you the context for today's story. If none of this makes sense, please listen to a few previous episodes and catch back up. It is the first age of Middle-earth. In the great battle of unnumbered tears, Morgoth the Dark Lord has triumphed over the allied elves and men, although a handful of strongholds remain to resist him. Morgoth has captured the man Húrin alive, and knowing that he lived in the hidden city Gondolin for a time, seeks to learn Gondolin's location. His plan is to torture Húrin by cursing his children and forcing Húrin to watch their tragic lives unfold, until Húrin breaks and reveals the location of Gondolin. Let's start today by reviewing the significance of this tale in the wider scope of Tolkien's mythology. In episode 20, I referenced a quote from Tolkien in which he described the three major stories that he first thought of in order to give a narrative to his invented languages. These three stories are The Children of Húrin, The Fall of Gondolin, and The Tale of Luthien and Beren. Regarding the last, The Tale of Beren and Luthien, We spent four episodes analyzing that story. The fall of Gondolin will happen in a few more chapters, and today we will start diving into the children of Húrin. The origins of this tale date back to the latest 1919 and likely before. This would have been during World War I, after Tolkien had married Edith and served in the armed forces and was sent home due to illness. In 2007, J.R.R. Tolkien's son Christopher published a book called The Children of Húrin. In this book, Christopher presents a full-length narrative of the tale, based on his father's multiple drafts and other notes. In the preface, he notes that his intent was to present this tale, quote, as an independent work, 
between its own covers with a minimum of editorial presence and above all in continuous narrative without gaps or interruptions. And I think that he accomplished this goal. The book form of the tale is detailed and provides a greater richness and depth to the almost abridged version we get in the Cimmerillion. If you're interested in reading this book for yourself, I've placed a link for The Children of Horden on Amazon in the show notes for this episode. However, for the purpose of this podcast, I'll be basing my analysis on the tale as it appears in The Cimmerillion. But one interesting tidbit that I'll pull from Christopher's introduction to the book The Children of Horden. The idea that Morgoth had cursed Horden's children and designed evilness for their lives was so critical that Tolkien proposed an alternate title, The Tale of the Curse of Morgoth. You'll see that this is an appropriate alternative, as the lives of Turin and his sister Nienor are a tragic tale on the scale of any Greek or Shakespearean tragedy. One more reference that demonstrates the gravity of this tale in Tolkien's Legendarium. In The Fellowship of the Ring, near the end of the chapter called The Council of Elrond, Frodo volunteers to take the ring to Mordor. Elrond responds with some Elder Days name-dropping, as he says to Frodo, quote, But if you take it freely, I will say that your choice is right. And though all the mighty elf friends of old, Hador and Hurin and Turin and Baron himself were assembled together, your seat should be among them. All of these names should be just a little bit familiar to you. Hador was a great king who allied with the elves, Baron reclaimed one of the Silmarils, Hurin was friend to King Turgon of Gondolin, and we're about to delve into Turin's tale. So if you look at the deeds of Baron, and those equal in greatness to the deeds that Frodo accomplishes, that sets the stage for the deeds that Turin will manage, even with a cursed and tragic life. Now, let's embark on the tale of Turin, son of Hurin. Turin was born in the land of Dor Lomin, in the same year that Beren first saw Luthien dancing in the forest. Dor Lomin is a small region nestled between two mountain ranges in the northwest corner of Beleriand. It's due west from the hidden city Gondolin and north of the caves of Nargothrond. For a good visual reference, check out Karen Fonstad's Atlas of Middle-earth, which I've added a link to in the show notes. The land was originally settled by Fingun, king of the Noldor, and son of Fingolfin, but was given to the man Hador. After the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, Morgoth awarded the land to the unfaithful men from the east. Turin was eight years old at the time of that battle, in which his father Hurin was captured while defending the retreat of Turgon. With the coming of the Easterlings, Turin's mother feared for his safety, and because she was kinswoman to Beren, she sent Turin to Doriath in the hopes that King Thingol would take him in. Morin was also with child, from before the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, when she sends Turin to Doriath. She gives birth to a daughter, whom she calls Nianor, which means mourning. Let's make a connection here. Way back when we looked at the Valar who came into the world, there was one named Nienna, who represents grief and mourning, and who weeps for the hurts of the world. Those who listen to her lamentations, quote, learn pity and endurance and hope. She also brings strength to the spirit and, quote, turns sorrow to wisdom. The turning of sorrow to wisdom is a major pattern in Tolkien's works. You may also remember that a certain Maiar learned much from Nienna, Oloran, or as we know him, Gandalf. So the choice of Tolkien to name Turin's sister after the Valar of grief and mourning is a major clue to what we'll see throughout this tale. In Doriath, Turin grows in strength, quote, but he was marked with sorrow. In his late teens, he joins with the elf Beleg Strongbow and helps defend the northern borders of Doriath. After some time in the wild, he returns to Menegroth, but has a minor altercation with an elf who says some rather insulting things, and which results with the elf falling into a chasm and dying on a rock below. Though the death isn't Turin's fault, he considers himself an outlaw and flees from Doriath. When Thinkel learns of this, he pardons Turin. Beleg offers to find Turin and bring him home. Turin takes up with a band of outlaws, or as Tolkien describes them, quote, a band of such houseless and desperate men as could be found in those evil days lurking in the wild. He quickly gains leadership of the group and names himself Neathan, meaning the wronged. Beleg tracks Turin and informs him of the king's pardon, 
begging him to return to Doriath and help with the resistance against the orcs. But, quote, in the pride of his heart, Turin refused the pardon. Beleg returns to Menegroth in Doriath, reports to Thingol of Turin's situation, and requests the king's leave to guard and guide the young man. Thingol accepts this and gives Beleg a sword of Beleg's choosing, Anglachel. Anglachel is a unique sword, having been forged of an iron that fell to the earth like, quote, a blazing star. The sword had been forged by the dark elf Aeol, who we met a few episodes back. Aeol is the father of Moglin, who attempted to kill himself and his son and Gondolin, but resulted only in the killing of his wife. The sword has a twin, Anguriel, which Moglin now wears in Gondolin. Malian gives a warning to Beleg, saying, quote, There is malice in this sword. The dark heart of the smith still dwells in it. It will not love the hand it serves, neither will it abide with you long. Before departing, Beleg receives another mighty gift, which only a queen of elves may give a supply of lambas, the special waybread of the elves. This bread calls back to the great tree Telperion. It was wrapped in leaves of silver, and the wafer was shaped like a flower of the silver tree. This gift was highly significant, for, quote, in nothing did Malian show greater favor to Turin than in this gift, for the Eldar had never before allowed men to use this waybread, and seldom did so again. So Malian here set a precedence concerning the lambas. It was given to men, only in dire need and in the face of great deeds. Do you remember a certain elven princess who spent her days in the tutelage of Malian? Yes, Galadriel. Great was Galadriel's gift to the fellowship, and that elvish waybread sustained them even after the sundering of the company. It gave strength to the running legs of Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli as they pursued the orcs who had kidnapped Merry and Pippin, whom the waybread comforted even when they were in the care of Treebeard the Ent. And even on the marches of Mount Doom in Mordor, to Frodo and Sam, quote, the Lemmas had a virtue without which they would long ago have lain down to die. An interesting morsel of information in a book called The Nature of Middle-Earth, edited and compiled by Carl Hostetter, Tolkien wrote a few notes about Lembus. Originally, Orome had taught the elves to make the waybread in preparation for the great journey to Valinor. The seed was a gift from Manwe and Varda, and, quote, Galadriel was one of the chief inheritors of the art of making Lembus. At the time of the Lord of the Rings, the art was known only to herself and her daughter Celebrian, wife of Elrond, and her daughter Arwen. With Galadriel's departure and the death of Arwen, the Waybread was lost forever in Middle-earth. I've put a link to this book in the show notes for this episode. With these great gifts, Beleg returned to Turin. Meanwhile, Turin had taken up a boat in a hill called Amanrud. The snows were heavier than ever that winter when Beleg again found Turin. With his superior elven knowledge, he healed many of Turin's men, and he shared the Lambus from Queen Malian. Together, Turin and Beleg cleared the area of Morgoth's servants, and the fame of the two captains, as they became known, went abroad in the land. Quote, then Morgoth laughed, for now was Hurin's son revealed to him again, and ere long Amanrud was ringed with spies. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Through treachery, orcs slay all of Turin's band, but he is taken alive and carried north towards Angban. In their haste, the orcs failed to realize that Beleg, while gravely wounded, was not dead, and he slowly regains his strength. 
He pursues the orc company, but on the way finds someone unlooked for. Sleeping under a tree was an elf, Gwyndor by name, who had been taken captive in Morgoth's mines and had somehow escaped, though on the brink of death. Gwyndor had seen the orcs pass by, and with them they carried a very tall man. Balig enlists Gwyndor's help in rescuing Hurin, even while the orcs camped within sight of their master's mountains. A storm begins to rage as Balig and Gwyndor sneak up to the camp of orcs that night. Balig picks off the wolf sentries with his bow. They find Turin tied to a tree with knives that had been thrown at him. Turin is, quote, senseless in a sleep of great weariness. The elves cut his bonds and carry him from the camp. Using the sword on Glachel, Balig cuts the remaining bonds on Turin's hands and feet. Quote, but fate was more strong, for the blade slipped as he cut the shackles, and Turin's foot was pricked. This ill-chanced trick of fate wakes Turin, who in, quote, rage and fear, sees only a dark shape standing over him with a black sword in hand. In his senseless days, Turin grapples with the figure, seizes the sword, and slays Beleg, quote, thinking him a foe. A flash of lightning illuminates the night, and Turin then realizes that he has killed his friend and guardian. Quote, then Turin stood stone still and silent, staring on that dreadful death, knowing what he had done. The orcs below have now woken up due to the great storm, which they believed, quote, was sent against them by the great enemies beyond the sea, meaning the Valar, of course. They scatter and return, quote, to Morgoth empty-handed, and left behind them the son of Hurin. I quake to imagine the reward that the Dark Lord would give them. For his part, Turin, quote, sat crazed and unwitting on the slopes, bearing a burden heavier than their bonds. Gwyndor is able to bring Turin out of his dazed state, though he walked as if asleep, in order to bury Balik, but the grief that Turin bore for this deed, quote, never faded. Gwyndor leaves Turin now as Balik did before. They arrive at the lake of Ethel Ivrin, where springs the river Narog, from which Nargothron gets its name. Here, quote, Turin knelt and drank from that water, and suddenly he cast himself down, and his tears were unloosed at last, and he was healed of his madness. Turin at last learns the name of his guide. When he learns that Gwyndor was a captive of Morgoth, he asks about his father Hurin. Gwyndor answers that the rumors in Angband claim that Hurin is alive and defies Morgoth, though, quote, Morgoth has laid a curse upon him and all his kin. To this, Turin replies, that I do believe. They depart, following the course of the river, until Gwyndor has led Turin to the hidden stronghold of Nargothrond. So that is the first part of Turin's journeys. I think you can see now the grief and burden that Turin bears bereft of mother and sister, a father held captive by the evil lord of the north, self-imposed exile in the wild, and implicated in two accidental deaths, Turin's life is certainly cursed by Morgoth. Please join me next week, where we'll resume the tragedy of Turin, learn the fate of his sister Nienor, and come face to face with the dragon Glaurung, as he seeks to bring about the fall of the elven fortress Nargothrond. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at lordoftheringspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.